ESPN 1420, ESPN1420.com, and the ESPN 1420 app. I'm Scott Prather from the ESPN 1420 studio by Roofing, Louisiana. And as promised, join now not just by Ralph Malbro, my friend from the Saints Happy Hour podcast, a frequent guest, but also by one of his cohorts who's been on the show before, who likes to do player grades, among other things, who likes to give Ralph a lot of grief every time they're on the podcast together, Andrew Jude. So I've got both of the guys from the best Saints podcast out there, the Saints Happy Hour podcast. Good morning, fellas. How are you feeling? I'm feeling good, but I don't appreciate Andrew just making fun of me on Twitter because every time I see a tr- trade rumor, I want that player. I'm a sucker for trades. I want I want the Saints to do trades. I can't I can't help it. I'm addicted. Um, and yeah, it's one it's one of those things with uh, Ralph where he's very much a prisoner of the moment. And uh, I just want to point out that I actually have a text from him right before halftime uh, where the Bears were leading thirteen to three, and and he said that the game was over. That I I should just stop watching because the Bears had it in the bag. So. Uh, you know, Ralph, Ralph tends to go with, you know, the tide as you will. Yes, indeed. You are Ralph. Uh, you love the, you just, you love content, but, uh, they actually got a wish. You were excited on Twitter for a minute and then you slowly said, man, I need another one. It didn't happen. But, uh, but Juge, let me ask you, Andrew Juge, what, in terms of Quan Alexander, I've read a lot of different stuff about him since the trade went down about, well, he misses a lot of tackles, and then I read, well, he led the league in solo tackles this one year. Like, injuries. What what should Saints fans expect out of Quan Alexander? Well, I, I think it's a situation where you should be very excited, uh, quite frankly. And if you look at his performance over the five games that he played this year, uh, my my interpretation of his performance on the field is that it's really been better than what Demario Davis has done or Alex Anzalone so far this year. Uh, now he comes to the Saints and he'll be a replacement, I think, for Alex Anzalone. So you will look at those two players; they'll be competing for the will position. Obviously, Demario Davis is untouchable in terms of his reps, but uh, I, I do think they get in Quan Alexander a better guy in coverage, a guy that's more versatile. He's much quicker. Uh, so from a speed standpoint, uh, from a play recognition standpoint, from an experience standpoint, I mean, this is a guy that was a pro bowler. Um, one salient stat, I think, is he has eight and a half sacks in his career and seven interceptions. Worth pointing out that DeMario Davis and Anzalone have three career interceptions combined. So this is a guy that when he gets his hands on the football, he makes plays. Uh, he already has a sack. He has a forced fumble this year in five games. Uh, he had a 10-tackle game, a 9-tackle game. So he's a very physical player, and, and he's a guy that's been very successful in the league. Uh, now, you mentioned the injuries. That's obviously the million-dollar question with him, and will, will he be able to stay healthy? But, Scott, I look at it like this. Right now, you have two linebackers in Demario Davis and Anzalone that I view as, in Davis's case, a superior linebacker. In Anzalone's case, maybe average, maybe slightly above average. They're both good players. Outside of that, we've seen Caden Ellis. We've seen Zach Bond. We've seen Craig Robertson out there for, for uh, small reps, small snaps. And it's, I don't want to call it a disaster, but it's been close to it. And so if either of the two guys I mentioned, the two starters go down, I really feel like the drop-off 
at linebacker for the Saints is so significant that it could sink their season. And so now you bring in a guy who's been to the Pro Bowl, and we'll see about the health and all that stuff, but there are now three players deep at that position, and they really only play two. Right. And competition is always a healthy thing. Yeah, I, you know, insurance is is good to have, especially when you're a team that feels like your window is open, whether they want to admit it or not, maybe for just a little while longer. So Anzalone's injury history, Quan has one as well. But to your point, man, I mean, after Davis and Anzalone, the drop-off is so huge. The one guy that was okay, you know, maybe slightly below average, not awful, was Kiko Alonso, but he was always hurt. And, you know, he couldn't really get on the field this year. And, and, and you never felt like, well, if he's fully healthy, he's going to push either one of those guys. You never felt that way. So you, you, you trade yeah. him, you bring in Alexander, and if it ends up costing you a fifth because he plays a lot, that means he's doing something good. So you'll certainly trade that off. So, look, they made a trade. It was for an LSU player, uh, ironically, and, uh, and a guy that, you know, I wasn't expecting him to, to necessarily trade for a linebacker, but for the reasons you pointed out, it, you know, it makes sense. Well, <laughs> Ralph, Ralph, I know you love uh... – the trade, but yeah, listen, it's, it's one of those things where, uh, 2020 is a crazy year and I don't know that there is a more surefire sign of the apocalypse than Sean Payton and Mickey Loomis trading for an LSU player. So, uh, I know Ralph and I are both very excited about that. We finally get as, as LSU homers, we get to get a guy like that on the team, but, uh, no, it's like you said, Ultimately, I think they get a guy that uh, will contribute in a big way. And, and if he doesn't, it's really a low-risk investment. Again, financially, from a cap standpoint, his salary really, we're only talking a couple million dollars this year. Uh, his last two years, they cost a lot, but they're non-guaranteed. So the Saints can get out of that contract and cut him after the season uh, for no losses whatsoever in terms of dead money. Uh, and, and ultimately, if they want to keep him, then that's something that they could renegotiate. We know Mickey Loomis has done that a lot, where if it's a good fit and they want to try to make it work, uh, then maybe they renegotiate the contract and get it lower so that it makes sense for both sides. Uh, I, I view this as, from a defensive standpoint, though, and I want to make sure I'm clear about this, this isn't going to transform the defense. I really think, ultimately, it's going to boil down to the players that we talked about, Demario Davis, Lattimore, Cam Jordan, those three have to raise their level of play. And I think that's where you're going to see the biggest gains. But anywhere you can get small wins, and this is why Mickey Loomis and Sean Payton over the years, they've been so good at tinkering, at building this roster. They find ways to make it better. And I think I believe that Quan Alexander does that. I don't know that it's the, the silver bullet to change the outcome of the season, uh, but they give themselves flexibility. They give themselves a playmaker at the position. They give themselves more speed. And uh, I think right now you call that a big win. Saints get a win Sunday. It's close. Breeze looks great. Uh, and yet, I think coming out of that one from a content standpoint, you got a lot to chew on, uh, even a mouthpiece that uh, C.D. Deuce might rip away from you. That was amazing. I want to say Evan Sachs, a, a follower of ours on Twitter, he broke it down like it was the, the Pruder film, and I didn't realize how what what instigated it. But me and Andrew were talking. I was thinking like, is it 
as uh, is it as egregious as Akib Talib trying to snatch Michael Crabtree's chain? Andrew said no, but man, your boy, your boy for the Bears was mad. He was like, like, like boiling over for like ten minutes. And CD Deuce, he just he has this unbelievable ability. Everybody wants to punch him in the face. Like it's inc- it's incredible. Uh, Andrew, like I, I, Ralph, maybe this question is better for you, but I, I texted you this Sunday, Ralph. I, I'm, I was trying to come up with a character from like TV or cinema that's like you just, you know, you, you know what? It's coming to me right now. It's coming to me right now. I, I and I kid you not. I didn't set this up. So you guys know Tombstone, right? Yeah. So like, wh- what was his name? Ike from Tombstone, the guy that was like, <laughs> like he. Th- that's. I feel like now. Now the difference is Ike was a coward, and I don't think that Gardner Johnson is a coward. So maybe it doesn't fully like line up perfectly. But Ike Clanton is the guy that just got under everyone's skin. Like even he does have a very punchable face. Yeah, even the guys on his own team like get really mad at him sometimes, and yet they go to back for him no matter what. And he just he just gets under everyone's skin, and he makes you just hey. drives you crazy. Andrew, tell them about what you said when you, you were telling me this morning about when you were doing your film breakdown of defense. Tell them what John, Gardner Johnson was doing to the Bears on the fourth and fourth and short when they were trying to draw the Saints offside. Well, 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 this is the great thing. So, you know, obviously I, I go back and rewatch the broadcast and rewatch the film just to, as I do my player grades. And so uh, on fourth and one, uh, you, you may remember this, Scott, where – the Bears, you know, Nagy, he's, he's at his own 20, but he trots out the offense, and everyone knows exactly what they're trying to do. They're not going to actually go for it. They're just trying to draw the Saints offside. And, and, and the beauty of no fans this year in 2020 is you the, the hot mic can pick up, you know, a lot of things that are set on the field. And you see Chauncey Gardner-Johnson about a foot away from the – and this is before time has elapsed. Uh, so, you know, the, the play clock is, you know, it's five seconds or whatever, and it's clear what the Bears are doing. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson is a foot away from the offensive lineman, screaming in his face, this isn't going to work, that S ain't going to work. And, and just, I, 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 this was after the whole incident. So he was already emotionally charged. <laughs> but I, I just watched that and thought, oh, my God, he, how did he not get punched again? I, I it, yeah, I mean, I I'm actually curious to know how many times he's been punched in his life, uh, because clearly he's like it, it's not his first rodeo. I mean, the 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 Michael Thomas sucker punch aside, I mean, Wims goes in there, swings with the left, then sucker punches it with an open hand on the right, and I mean, Johnson's sitting there like, what what are you doing, like? That that's it, and then he comes in with an and and Wims flinched after that. He's expecting Gardner to react, and Gardner's like, "Really? Like that's that's not look. I've been punched, dude. That's not a punch. I mean, come on." Now Wims went on to say he told the team that he spit on him, even though there's not video evidence of such. That might be a stretch, but you know, when it comes to Gardner Johnson, he's not the best in coverage and safety, but he's a guy that. Um, you know what? Uh, if you need a good pest, man, he's not as good as Cortland Finnegan was as a player, not yet anyway. But man, Finnegan had a way to get in the head of any opposing receiver. And all jokes aside, I mean, there's a lot of value to that, right? Yeah, I mean, it is. I, I, the thing is with him, though, he's like potentially 
he's going to have like a ma- <laughs> the Saints are going to have a massive brawl. He's the, he's the kind of guy like he's he's all fun and good when the Saints are winning, but if they ever turn bad and they would like extend him, he could be a guy where they're like in like 2024 when they're like four and seven. Like he's the he's the front page of ESPN.com because the Saints just had an all-out brawl with the Panthers. But at that point, it might be the most entertaining thing about the Saints. So um, I'm here for it. I I like him until until he costs the Saints a win. Then I'll demand they cut. I Clinton. Well, man. That's, that, that's exactly the thing, though. I think when you look at a player like Junior Gillette, everyone loved him. Everyone loved the hashtag body bag, and it was always when he was getting double-digit sacks and the Saints were winning. Uh, but that's the kind of player that you worry about when you're seven and nine, and the defense isn't playing well, and you know he starts to poison the locker room. And so, you know, I think guys like that you tolerate their antics up to a point when you're winning. Uh, but that's something to look at. And I think you know when you look at Junior Gallette and the investments that they made and the regrets on the other side of that, I think maybe the Saints. And we'll have to see, but I think maybe they second guess. Uh, any sort of future investment in Chauncey Gardner-Johnson beyond his rookie contract. ESPN 1420.com. We're visiting with both Ralph Malbro and Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour podcast. I know you guys have a big following here in Lafayette and the Acadiana area. If anyone hasn't subscribed yet, go check it out. Tons of Saints content, jokes, good stuff, stuff you're not going to get anywhere else. Let's explore that for a minute, guys. Like, I I think with Gallette, when, when it started to just be calling out everyone on the team. Like, to this point, you have the sucker punch from Thomas, but there are other reports that, like, Malcolm Jenkins would get into it with Thomas as well. Like, other guys on the defense would. I mean, yeah. you hear about heated, <clears throat> heated, I don't know, practices between offense and defense, and Thomas is like, I mean, he's intense, right? Very intense. You know, he's like, he's Christian Bale. What makes him great also is what gets him into trouble sometimes. So, for, for Gardner-Johnson... I don't know that I would start worrying as much until you hear more reports from within the locker room and he's sitting there and he's sharing private information about captains in the locker room and beloved players in the locker room. And now he's kind of gone off the deep end. But, uh, but I mean, you know, one thing I will agree on, Ralph, is if there's ever just an all-out brawl in a practice or in a game for the Saints in the next year or two, we all know who's going to be the person that started it. Well, the only concern with, with- – Gardner Johnson is the Saints. If you have leaders like Demario Davis and Cam Jordan and Malcolm Jenkins, like they can they can calm him down, right? And they can sort of sort of push his worst instincts aside and be like, "Dude, you can't do that." The thing with Junior was the Saints. They suddenly had this giant leadership void on defense, right? And they didn't have anybody that could really push him down because at that point Cam Jordan wasn't, wasn't the leader he is now and they kind of pushed out Malcolm Jenkins for Jarrett Bird and that sort of thing so that's the thing with, with him um, but you know what it, it's all, it, when they win it's all fun and games but the thing that I, that I want that I was interested in and Andrew was talking about it is and he broke it down in his grades which was a great way is I'm worried that like and Andrew can speak to it more I'm worried that these, these corners that the Saints have, like we thought they were good and, and everybody raves on them in training camp, oh, it's going to be the best secondary ever. But, like, we're kind of at the point now, Andrew, kind of explain it to people, like they are what they are. And, like, this, we're going to have two shutdown corners in August. Like, that isn't going to happen. And these guys are just, they kind of are what they are. And you just have to live with this maddening, maddeningly inconsistent duo. 
Well, I think that the thing that's most challenging when you look at the Saints secondary currently is it's clear to me that you can't point to one guy. And I think at times you, you, I, I could point you back, Scott, specifically to, for example, when Ken Crawley wasn't cutting it as, as a starting corner and the Saints saw that very clearly that he w- he personally was a liability. They went out and traded for Eli Apple specifically to patch that problem. The problem this time around is that it feels like the Saints are on a boat with leaks springing and they patch those leaks and then they start to spring elsewhere. And I think you could point out every single individual player in the secondary and in, at different instances and in different games, players have struggled and, re- and, and challenges have reared their ugly heads. So you look at the Raiders game, for example. Malcolm Jenkins plays terrible in that game. Malcolm Jenkins actually played very well uh, on Sunday. Uh, and, and so it's been inconsistent. Marshawn Lattimore, I mean, it was kind of a microcosm during that whole game. He has a big interception, almost has a second, but he gives up the big touchdown to Allen Robinson. You look at Janoris Jenkins up and down this year, gives up a 50-yard pass. Chauncey Gardner-Johnson has had moments, but uh, last week uh, against, you know, uh, Teddy Bridgewater in Carolina, he was victimized consistently in the slot. So I think when you look at the secondary from top to bottom, it seems like it's a different guy every week that's screwing up in the secondary. And that's not a good place to be because I don't know that you can point at one fix. You can't go out and get one player to replace one guy and fix this defense, I think it's more just the secondary is, is not playing consistently. And that, that's the biggest head-scratcher and concern for me. So ESPN1420.com, Ralph Malbro, Andrew Jude from the Saints Happy Hour Podcast, my guest. Andrew, uh, to follow up on that, so you feel like we have a large enough body of work here in 2020 that leads you to think they're not going to, go back to some of the better play that we've maybe seen in the past, whether it be from a Lattimore or briefly from a Jenkins with the Saints. It's not like he was on the team for very long, but you just feel like, look, at this point, if you're expecting it to, to make you know, leaps and bounds improvement, it's probably not going to happen. I think, I think that's accurate, yes, yeah, Scott. And, and I, I would put it like this. Ultimately, when you look at this defense, if you were to ask me who are the superstars on this defense, and that, and that, listen, it's great if you can go out and you can make a trade, you can bring a new talent in, and hopefully that helps you, but nothing outside of this building is going to transform this defense at this point. Uh, the superstars on this defense are Marshawn Lattimore, Cam Jordan, and Demario Davis. And if you look at those three players specifically, they have declined this year relative to last year. I don't, I don't think there's any way you could argue otherwise those three players are not living up to the standard and expectation that we as fans and the Saints as an organization and that locker room that they have for those three players. And so if you're not getting carried by the three guys that you've invested the most in that, that carry your defense, uh, then everything around them isn't going to look as good. So I, I think it starts and ends with those three players. And, you know, look, Breeze got off to a really rough start. To, to begin the season and he's since corrected and he looks really good right now. So I'm not ready to write these players off and it's not like they're inept. It's not like they've gone from superstars to, to terrible. I mean, they've had their moments this season, but I, I just think th- those three in particular need to step up their play. If this defense is going to be anything, because without it, 
Yeah, so I, I think personnel is an issue, decline of superstars. The second thing I will point out that's made me uncomfortable with this defense is, is the press coverage. Uh, in, in situations where it's third and 14, third and 19, uh, they're daring teams to throw deep on them. And, and I just think consistently Lattimore and Janoris Jenkins have been beaten enough on the outside. Chauncey Garner-Johnson in the slot. They haven't really lived up to the expectations of what Dennis Allen has for them. And so I, I just think you get to a point when you get these down in distances that are third and 15 or more, and you're getting beat over the top because of how aggressively you're playing, I think from a coaching standpoint, there may need to be some adjustments. Good stuff. ESPN 1420. Andrew Juge has the grades. Ralph Malbro has the jokes. They're from the Saints Happy Hour podcast. I wish I had Kevin's number just so he could have out of nowhere just commented after you talk. Like for a second, I thought I was listening to the podcast and like I was just waiting for <laughs> Kevin to just jump in with like, you know, a couple of curse words or reference to, you know, something in the in, in the in the wrestling ring. And then, you know, a metaphor that doesn't quite work. And yet we all understand it somehow. Uh, but well, Scott, I, I don't know if you knew this, but in our post game, uh, right after the game, Kevin came on and it was perfect because, you know, I give the analysis. Ralph gives the jokes. Meanwhile, Kevin didn't even watch the game. He just followed the game on Twitter. So his analysis is purely based off that. And uh, that, that's our But you know what? Analysis, analysis of a Saints game purely based on Twitter, the comic value of it is off the charts because all Kevin wanted to talk about was Taysom Hill, C.D. Deuce, and the possibility that the Saints fans wanted Winston in the game when it was 13-3. to Oh, my God. Just, it's like watching a Saints game, but from a, an entirely different planet. Uh, <laughs> ESPN fourteen twenty. If you, if you only follow a game on Twitter, I, everything is complete to the extreme. I mean, look, I, you bring up Taysom Hill. Uh, but he had, what, five carries, 35 yards, two catches, 30 yards, a touchdown. He only played 14 snaps. And yet, you know, the fan base that loved him is suddenly turning on him because at some point he was going to have plays where he didn't do amazing things. It was like he was he, he started out too good in limited roles. And I, I think now it's like shifted the other way. He was overvalued. Now I think he's almost over criticized. Has he been has he played great this year? No, he hasn't played great. But I thought, all things considered, he played good on Sunday. When you just look at the numbers, there were a few play calls where you might scratch your head. But overall, I didn't think it was a bad hill performance. What, what, are, what are you guys' thoughts of Taysom in Chicago? Well, well the, I'm uh, it's, funny, it. it's funny. Go our, ahead, Andrew. Our, um, yeah, our, our guys, uh, our, our podcast has a chat channel, and so if you're a patron, you get access to that. Um, but uh, a couple guys in the chat pointed this out, and I think it's really good stuff, and, and it's accurate. I saw a big adjustment from Sean Payton in the sense that Taysom Hill, if you go back and watch that game, these were scripted runs. These were not RPOs. These were not – he didn't have the option to pass. These were not zone reads. These were not plays where Taysom Hill had to think or process. These were scripted runs. So what I thought Sean Payton did in this game is he really simplified it. And I think Taysom Hill has been struggling both in terms of performance but – a lot of it's been decision-making. And so I feel like going into this game, the Saints said, okay, Taysom, son, you're going to run the football. We're gonna, you're just going to go behind this guy, and you're just going to use your power, you're going to use your speed, and just focus on hitting the hole and running. And I thought that was very effective and a big reason why uh, we kind of finally saw him 
start to look like the Taysom Hill that we fell in love with last year. And so I think simplifying things was really big for him. And I, I still think I, I don't, I haven't written him off. I think some people might think, well, that's a really bad sign if he can't process, but I think it's a tough ask when you ask a player to go in and he's only playing five, 10 snaps uh, to go in and, and comfortably make decisions like that when he hasn't had the reps, that's a difficult situation for him. So I think to get him going, simplify things, and then maybe make things more difficult for him down the road when he's had more reps and more confidence uh, is a great place to start. It was so great to see him make some plays. Ralph, I, um, I, I'm going to read you some names. I'm kind of zigzagging here. I have to briefly go back <laughs> to the secondary. It's ESPN 1420. If you're just tuning in, we're visiting with Ralph Malbro and Andrew Juge of the Saints Happy Hour podcast at Andrew Juge on Twitter at Saints Forecast for Ralph. And, of course, you can follow the Saints Happy Hour podcast on Twitter as well at Saints Happy Hour and get all the great intel there. Um, I'm going to read you some names, and I don't I, is I, my question is when you hear these names, does it make you feel better about the current secondary or worse, considering that they haven't played up to their level of play? I'm going to give you some names here: uh, Pierre Warren, Corey White, oh. Jamarcus oh. Sanford, Stanley Jean Baptiste, Brian Dixon, oh. Marcus Ball. Um, uh, Terrence Frederick, oh. uh, Damian Swan. Who else I got is, here? Is Johnny Patrick going to make an appearance? Uh, why not? Let's go back. I was just going back, you know, five years. We can, we can put, let's throw Johnny Patrick on there. Kyle Wilson, Chris Owens, Brandon Browner, Jarris Bird. Um, somebody, I, I, this guy actually was active in a game in late December, uh, named Tavezi Calhoun. Uh, don't remember him. Devontae Harris, Shiloh Kiao, Sterling Moore, Robison Terezi, B.W. Webb. Should I stop? I mean, is this painful? Jimmy Pruitt. <laughs> I mean, I could keep going. So does that make you feel better? Of course, Ken Crowley. Sorry, he's currently on the team, though. Does this make you feel better or worse? I mean, it makes me feel a little bit better. I am a little bit sad, though. Chris Owens, I ran that joke into the ground at <laughs> WWL, making my Chris Owens stripper or quarterback oh, yeah. joke. Oh, yeah. I, he'll always have a soft spot in my heart. With that name. I admit that. Um, but the thing is, uh, Scott, I feel like you're asking me, you're like, Ralph, would you rather eat this hamburger or this pile of poop? Like, it's, it's like an unfair comparison. So I guess I do feel better that way. The one thing I will say is this defense, with, with the playoffs this year, it's going to be weird, right? Because you're not going to really have home field advantage. They're not going to probably most places are going to have fans or they're going to have limited fans. And the only thing we care about is weather. So as long as Green Bay doesn't have home field advantage, it's fine, right? So my thing is I always try to be the optimistic. And I'm just like, if this defense can just get in the playoffs and be sorry, but then they can just put it together magically for like three or four weeks, then they can win a title. And I know your people are in there are probably saying that's not possible. That's that's never going to happen. But the Colts in 2006, their defense was horrific all year long. They got Bob Sanders back. They traded for Booger McFarland, and suddenly like their run defense went from atrocious to good. And it was only good for like three weeks, but that's all they needed it. And Peyton won a title. So that's my hope. Is I know these players have been good in the past. So you're not asking like something you've never seen before so at least that gives me a little bit glimmer of hope although andrew's grades today depressed me. espn 1420 
So uh, who is the best and who is the worst graded player in the game? And then for folks that want to do a little more digging, maybe you've been a listener to the podcast, but you haven't done the Patreon thing yet. Uh, and you're considering it uh, tons of great content, daily content, the grades from Andrew as well. So you don't have to spoil it all, Andrew, but who is just, just give me the, the best and the worst in terms of player grades for the Saints on Sunday. Tell them about my boy, Andrew. Tell them about my boy. Which boy is that? That's Onyemata. Tell him about Onyemata. Oh, Onyemata. Onyemata. Yeah, no, he, he did have a very good grade. My, my highest grade was Malcolm Jenkins, actually, and he, he hasn't had favorable grades much this year. Uh, but I thought in this game he was phenomenal. So I have to give a shout-out to Malcolm Jenkins. He completely erased Jimmy Graham in this game. And, and while I know Jimmy Graham isn't really where used to be by any means, uh, it, it was one of those performances where I just felt like Malcolm Jenkins, he was brought in to play man coverage against these big physical tight ends. And when you watch the Raiders game and how he did against Darren Waller, it's fair to ask the question, is he done? Uh, but I think it's clear that if it's not such a mismatch in terms of physical talent and he's facing off against a player like Jimmy Graham, Malcolm Jenkins still has plenty in the tank. So I thought he played really well. Ralph just mentioned Onyemata. And really at this point through seven games, I would say that Onyemata has been the MVP of the defense. He's been the lone player consistently every week that's shown up playing at a decent level. So, uh, you know, that, that's been promising. I did think this was a little bit of a step backward for Cesar Ruiz, who for a couple weeks now had looked pretty good at right guard. This was a tough task. He was one-on-one a couple times with Khalil Mack, and that was not great. And certainly the Saints running the football, that was tough sledding. So Cesar Ruiz is learning, uh, and he's kind of been a little bit up and down so far. But that's, I think, a player that you want to see improve. But uh, ultimately, to me, it's, it's just the receivers. I, I think when you look at Traquan Smith had a decent game and, and Deontay Harris made some plays, but outside of those two, I think the combination of Austin Carr, Juwan Johnson, and, and uh, Tommy Lee Lewis was pretty miserable. And so as we move forward, obviously, you look to hopefully get some of these key players back as quickly as possible. It will make a big difference for this offense. If they can next week's against Tampa, now this is a big game coming up here. Uh, if they can have Michael Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders, and Marquez Callaway, I believe all three have a good chance of playing in this game. Uh, that moves some of the guys I just talked about off the roster and makes a big difference. Ralph, with this game coming up Sunday night, NBC is I, – I was going to make an inappropriate joke. I won't because this is not your podcast. It's the radio. <laughs> but let's just say they're excited because, you know, Breeze, Brady, they could be tossing the NFL TD pass record back and forth during the game – You've got Michael Thomas probably going to return. We'll see what the practice report looks like this week. But the fact that he was limited last week is a positive sign, as is with Callaway. Sanders coming off the COVID-19 list. But Breeze versus Brady, Thomas's return, Antonio Brown likely making his debut. This is going to be the highest-rated game of this regular season, is it not? I think it might. And i got to say, NBC, please, for the love of God, they're not going to do like the Twitter birthday graphic with the balloons every time Brady and Breeze breaking break, news break <laughs> touchdown record back and forth, are they? They're yeah. not going to do that three, four times during the game. Please, they Lord, will. Don't do that. Um, I have to say, it, it probably will be Scott. Remember, the Saints Tampa opener season opener was the highest rated regular season game on Fox in like four years. It was like almost it was the highest. I, I forget which one or. Which one, it, which one it beat, but I would say there's no reason where, why it's not. And the thing is, 
Tom Brady is like proving to the world that like those six rings were his and not Belichick's. So it's going to be it's going to it's going to do a monster number, and you know ESPN is just going to pump it all week. And and I always tell Andrew this: like sixty percent of the fun as a Saints fan is when they're good. The anticipation of the game and just devouring all the Saints content, and you're going to get it. In, in buckets this week because Saints Bucks is the number is the is is going to be the number one football thing in America this week. ESPN fourteen twenty and dot com. I'm Scott Prather visiting with Ralph Malbro and Andrew Juge from the Saints Happy Hour podcast. We mentioned Kevin. Um, I think everyone has trouble listening to Dave. Not me. I was just quoting Sean Payton. <laughs> there's there's a there's a fourth member of uh, of you guys. You know, uh, quick quick plug of your podcast. How long have you guys been doing it for listeners that don't know that are maybe newer or haven't checked it out yet? And why do you feel like you guys, if you look at the charts um, in terms of Saints podcast, you guys are consistently at the top. You have a strong following. What do you think the key to it's been? Andrew, go ahead. Go ahead. You, you want me to go? On? Well, well. First yeah. of all, I have to point to our rating in multi. I think our our multi That's right. fan base number four. I checked critical it right to our, this interview. Number four. Are we are we number four? Yeah, we're number four in multi. Yeah. Good. Good. Well, yeah. So no, that, obviously that's been great. Uh, but you know, it, it's been humbling, Scott. Honestly, uh, the support. You know, I think when we started this podcast, it, it was really birthed, and, and Ralph started actually with Kevin. Uh, so those were the first two to, to start it, uh, I think, 12 years ago or so. Uh, yeah. And then Dave joined shortly thereafter, and I was actually the last to join. Uh, but, you know, I, I think it's just born from a place of this is what we do for fun, and, and it was kind of like a side of our desk passion. And so we would do this for free, and, and you know, it was one of those things where um, it was just really more a, a, of entertaining ourselves. And along the way, we've gotten patrons and We've gotten a nice, really loyal following and, and fan base, and so uh, it, it's been great. And, uh, you know, I, I think the, the main thing I would say when you ask the question, what, what separates us or what's different, I think we bring an element that you don't see too much out there and that I think a lot of times too many people try to be the next big reporter, and, and that's not us. You know, we really want to just focus yeah. on in, enriching the fan experience and, and, and viewing it through the fans' lens. And so I think too many times when you see these podcasts, and certainly I'm guilty of it too because I like to do the player grades and really stat geek and, and get into the, like the analytics of it. But I, I think at its core, this podcast is really for fans that just want a lighthearted podcast that focuses on enjoying what football is. And ultimately, this is an entertainment business. I firmly believe that. And so the more you can enhance the entertainment of it, uh, that's what we're all about. And so those that appreciate us, I think, uh, feel that. Good stuff, man. Yeah, Ralph. I mean. Go ahead, Ralph. Scott, and, and the thing for us, the thing with our podcast, is, and Andrew has told me this, is like, it's all about the jokes. Like, to me, when I write my Channel 4 column, when we, when we have our group text about what we're going to do the show, and like, I want to know, like, why was this funny? Even when the Saints lose so, you know, even when they lost the NFC Championship to the Rams, right, and it was horrible and everybody was in a dark place, we opened the show and I was like, when the NFL called Sean Payton to explain to him why the Saints got screwed horribly, did he have to be on hold? Did he have to make a selection from the menu? Like, we were making jokes then and people were thankful. They're like, I can't believe you guys did that show after they, after, you know, the Saints had that heartbreaking loss. Other podcasts were like, we got to take a break. We can't yeah. do it. 
we just go and and we're going to make this we like we will make it fun because the thing is you're eventually you're going to get tired of like the analytics analytics and all you what we want to do is we want to make jokes either we're either we're laughing with the saints when they win or we're laughing at them when they lose and we're making falcon jokes like that's the that's the that's the that's the foundation of what we do with our show I love it, man, and uh, I don't get a lot of time and, and don't listen to a ton of sports stuff outside of what I do, but I like to support local. Obviously, I you know the Saints are one of the driving topics of this show, uh, as are the Cajuns and LSU a little bit, and, and I'll, I'll support the guys that do that as well. they got a good Rage Cajun podcast here, but you know the Saints, there's a lot of different podcasts out there, and I, I listen to, to Deuce Windham and those guys on occasion and, uh, and Nick Underhill as well, but I've been listening to y'all for a long time, and uh, you make me laugh, which is which is which is needed these days. I know, uh, especially today, and it's one of the reasons I wanted to bring you on. I know an election and everything else is stressful for a lot of folks, but you know, coming here, they want to hear about sports and uh, and hear about some, you know, occasional laughs and stuff, and uh, and I'm here for it. So I appreciate what you guys do uh, as we wrap it up. Just some some questions about this team moving forward. I feel like my final question, to you guys. I feel like there's a few things we know about this this year's team. We know that they're great in the two-minute offense. We know that Alvin Kamara is amazing. We know that in a close game, the Saints win more than they lose. What, what, what are some other things you feel like we definitively know about the 2020 Saints? I'll throw it to Andrew first. Ralph, you can wrap it up after. Well, the thing that's been so crazy about this season is that we're seven games in and we still don't know uh, that that's to me been the thing that sticks out the most uh, that I'm not ready to draw any conclusions. Usually seven games in, you have a good feel. And I think part of it's 2020 part of it's just the lack of preparation leading into the season and certainly missing a lot of time and reps uh, during training camp. Uh, but if you were to ask me, I, I, I'm kind of resigned at this point that the defense might be what it is, and they're going to continue to spring leaks here and there, and guys that you think are terrible are going to have good games, and guys that you think are really good are going to have bad games. And They're just struggling to put it all together, and I just think, again, I go back to it being the linchpins are Lattimore, DeMario Davis, and Cam Jordan. And, and it's not that they're having awful years. They're just having substandard years, and if those three guys aren't playing up to their elite level – because what happens is that elevates everyone around them. And so they're not doing that right now. And so because of that, I think other guys on the roster are struggling too on that side of the ball. So I, I think the defense is what it is at this point. With the offense, I'm actually excited in the sense that I feel like Breeze has turned a corner. and He's really kind of dialed in. He's laser sharp right now. He knows what he needs to do, and he's executing. And he's doing that with – the offense kind of being a shell of what it was supposed to be. And so as these players come back, and remember Michael Thomas was the offensive player of the year in the NFL last year. Not only the best player on the Saints roster, but the best offensive player in the entire league. And they've been able to do all these things offensively without him. So if he can come back, if he can get back to form, I shudder to think of what this offense could be. And so I'm still really excited about the prospects moving forward. If this defense continues to struggle, but they can add Michael Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, maybe this offense can kind of buoy into a unit that scores 35 points a week. All right, Ralph, what you got? 
I mean, I agree with Andrew. I, I even think Andrew is kind of like, we undersell the Michael Thomas. He's like an infinity stone, man. And Drew Brees, with, I think without crowds, Drew Brees is able to manipulate the offense. He can, you know, in Chicago yesterday, he didn't have crowds, so he could check, he could do whatever he wants. And he's so smart that that's a huge thing. I'm going to tell you, I'm excited when Michael Thomas gets back. I think Jared Cook is going to annihilate people because then you're going to have Kamara, you're going to have Michael Thomas, Manuel Sanders, and Jared Cook. He's playing. He's playing pretty good now, but he is going to murder teams with bad linebackers and bad safeties. It is going to be a joy to watch, and I still think the NFC is kind of terrible. So I think it's all right in front of the Saints. I know we talk about their, the Saints' struggles and this and that. Let me tell you something. Seattle, they're 6-1. and one. Their pass defense is 2012-level Saints bad. So don't tell me that there's like this team that's miles ahead of the Saints in the NFC. It's just not. So I think it's all still in front of them. Especially if they can get a win on Sunday night. Um, good stuff, guys. I appreciate the time. I, um, I'm starting to... Have second thoughts about my Ike Clanton uh, metaphor for for Gardner <laughs> Johnson, only because Clanton would like he would start fights, but he'd run from them. I don't, I don't, I don't think that Gardner yeah. Johnson is that type. So, uh, Ralph, I'm putting it on you, man. Come up with a good one. I'll be listening. I'm gonna have to. I might have to. I'm gonna. Have, I'm thinking of that. I might have to clip some uh, some Ike Ike Clanton sound for the for the big show for the <laughs> podcast. I love I love doing that. But if anybody has suggestions, tweet tweet them at me or email me. I I love to I love to drop movie sound into the podcast. At Saints Forecast on Twitter. That's how you follow Ralph at Andrew Juge, J U G E on Twitter. That's how you follow Andrew at Saints Happy Hour on Twitter. That's how you follow the podcast. Guys, I appreciate y'all taking the time this week, man. Um keep it up. I'll be listening and um we'll talk to you guys soon, all right? Always a pleasure. Thanks for having us.